is Mark 5, the verses 1 through 20, which we have already read together. After the sermon, we will respond to the proclamation of the gospel with hymn 53, stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is common to all of the epic stories? What is, what's the ingredient that draws people to read these classic works, to, to watch them on the screens, to write poems about them, sing songs, or capture them in paintings? What is the one thing that's so special about them? And you know these stories. Classics like The Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and you young children too, you remember hearing scary stories like The Three Billy Goats Gruff, and Jack and the Beanstalk. Think about Disney movies. Every single one of them has the same basic recipe. And what is that? What is it that all human beings crave? to be a part of. We want to experience part of the oldest story, the contest between good and evil. We want to experience that. We want to live life through the characters on the screen or on the pages. Everyone loves this story, this battle. Ironically, even people who do not believe in God People who think that there is no such thing as God or spirits or demons or Satan. They line up and shell out billions of dollars to partake in some form of the battle between good and evil. Congregation of Jesus Christ, this battle between good and evil is real. It's not just a fantasy. This war is being waged before our very eyes. There are hosts of demons who try to snatch people, enslave them to the powers of evil, and they try to sabotage the work of Christ. And there are heavenly hosts who protect God's people. They guard the church, and they do their part to make sure that the front line of God's kingdom advances, gaining ground while Christ gathers and defends and preserves his church. And this battle will continue until the end of this world. This is the greatest war that has ever been waged. And the victory has already been secured by our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is still fighting to be done. In our passage today, we see a magnificent display of the power of the kingdom of God as Jesus strikes a blow to his enemies. The word of God comes to us today under this theme, the word that King Jesus subdues his enemies and rescues a prisoner. We see, first, the power of evil over man. Secondly, the power of Jesus over evil. Third, the terror of the Gerasenes. And finally, the fear of the rescued man. So first, we see the power of evil over man. Let's go to the context of the Gospel of Mark here. As we move through the first four chapters, we see really amazing displays 
of Jesus' divinity. He begins to set aright what sinfulness has broken. He heals people, he casts out demons, and he forgives sins. And all of this is incredibly mysterious to everyone, including Jesus' own disciples. Who is this? He speaks with authority. And at this point, they don't know Jesus fully the way we know him. This is new. This is brand new to them. Even the demons listen to him. And this is where we pick up in chapter 5. Jesus wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side to do something. And on the way, he stops a storm just by speaking to it. The wind and the waves are so rough that the disciples actually think they're going to die. And Jesus says to the waves, be quiet, shut up, and it's calm. Who is this that can do such a thing? This is the king, and his kingdom is coming. And this question is still fresh in the minds of the disciples as they land on the other side. So they come ashore in the Gerasene region, and immediately they are confronted by a demoniac. Jesus barely has his feet on land, and this man comes to meet him. Mark's description of him and his description of the place gives us some very important details. Four things we should note here. In verse 2, so number one, he has an unclean spirit. Unclean, not pure, not holy. It's an abomination. The idea of uncleanness is very important here. Unclean things have no business in the presence of God. This spirit, this unclean spirit, is an enemy of God's kingdom. Number two, this region of the Gerasenes, right now it's a Gentile region, but it's not supposed to be. Actually, this used to be Israelite territory, but this is the state of Israel at this time. The church has become occupied by pagans. Number three, the tombs, and this is all still in verse two. The tombs, he comes out of the tombs. What do tombs signify? What kind of person hangs around tombs? They're places of death, places with corpses. This is all stuff that disqualifies you from the presence of God, from being able to enter his presence. If you touch a corpse, you become infected by death. In the Old Testament law, this, this contact with death makes you unclean. And consider this. This man is not only ritually defiled by death, but he's psychologically tormented too. He's cut off from among living people, and the demons are torture him, torturing him with this with this constant spectacle of death. They're giving him a foretaste of what's to come. It's a complete existence of torture for this man. Finally, the fourth thing. Later on, we'll see that there is a herd of pigs in the picture. Unclean animals. So are you getting the flavor of the scene here? Evil, nasty, death, impurity. This is the realm of evil. And Jesus 
our pure and holy Lord, he approaches. The man himself, the demoniac, what's happening to him? Well, this demonic presence has given him some, some sort of supernatural strength. We read in verses 3 and 4 that apparently in the past, they used to be able to restrain him. Maybe so he couldn't hurt himself or possibly hurt others. If he was in a modern psychiatric ward, he would probably have a straitjacket on. They used to be able to restrain this man, but he has become so strong because of these demons that he snaps metal chains and the irons on his wrists and on his feet. He cannot be contained. This must have been terrifying. This must have been terrifying for everybody in the town and especially heartbreaking for his loved ones. They knew that he was plagued by something superhuman and evil and they were no match for whatever that was. Night and day he would cry out in the tombs and in the hills and cut himself with stones like a wild, insane animal. But he was still human enough to be aware of his suffering. Now can you imagine that, that this man is your husband or he's your father or he's your brother out in the wild by the tombs wailing and crying in agony you're sitting around the table with your family for supper and your dad's chair is empty and you're trying to have a normal conversation with your dinner guests and you hear a shriek of agony out in the hills and one of your kids informs the guests yeah that's that's our dad he lives out by the tombs your loved one your own loved one is tortured by Satan's demons and he's a serious physical threat and you are completely powerless to do anything good for him now this kind of thing is is a bit foreign to us here isn't it we don't experience this kind of demonic power in our circles we seem to be protected by God from this kind of thing but there are parts of the world where demons are active talk to a mission worker who has spent time in severely pagan regions the front line of the war where satan sends his troops remember satan is not omnipresent and he has a limited number of demons at his disposal so he sends them where he's allowed he sends them where he can be effective and these mission workers will tell you this is real we might not personally know anybody who who is tormented by demons. But we do contend vigorously against Satan, against the power of evil in this world, against our own sinful nature. We feel the effects of, of sinful brokenness. And we can be tormented by temptations, by, by severe depression and other things like that, things that seek to destroy our souls. But by God's grace, we enjoy protection from this kind of demonic power. But not this man. He was tormented, and he couldn't be restrained. Now, this whole thing brings to mind something that we would have read just a couple of chapters ago. The teachers of the law had accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul. 
They accused Jesus himself of being possessed. Now, what does Jesus say to that? He says, in order to go against the house or the kingdom of Satan, the strong man must be bound first. When Jesus casts out demons, what's he showing? He's showing that the era of the reign of Satan is coming to an end. The kingdom of God is here. And this is an earth-shattering statement. When Jesus casts out demons by speaking a word, he shows that his power, his authority, is greater than the power of Satan. Satan is finished. The question with the demoniac in our passage is this. Who is the strong man? The demoniac, whom nobody can bind, not even with chains? Is it Satan, or is it our Lord Jesus Christ? Who has the power? In Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He says that Jesus, he says that he has come to bring release to the captives, to set free the oppressed. That's what he has come to this region to do. Show his power and his mercy. The demon-possessed man shows what it's like to be ruled by the power of evil. It's a slow, one-way train towards death and destruction. And it's torture the entire way. And this is everyone's destiny. This is our destiny unless God intervenes. Human beings by themselves are no match for evil. We will lose every time. But Jesus, Jesus has come. Our second point, the power of Jesus over evil. Now, amazingly, this man recognizes the authority of Jesus. He approaches, falls down in front of him, and shouts, begging. He's at the mercy of the Lord. And we see a shift here, right? In the first couple of verses, we see how people were completely powerless against this man. They, they couldn't do anything against him. And now here, this man is completely powerless against the force of the demons. But now... The demons themselves are admitting that they are powerless. They are impotent. They're powerless against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the demon that speaks with Jesus is the spokesman of this horde. His name is Legion. Why is that? Why is his name Legion? Well, number one, it shows the magnitude of the work of Satan. In a Roman legion, there were over 5,000 men, including the officers. So suppose this church building holds 500, 600 people. That means that if you fill this church eight times, nine times, ten times, that's how many demons are in a legion of demons. That's an evil force. Number two, the name legion also shows that this is war. This is a fighting group of demons. Their job is to destroy their enemy, and their enemies are the citizens of God's kingdom. That's you and me. They will attack us if given the chance. So when Legion begs Jesus, swear to God that you won't torture me, he's terrified of what Jesus has in store for him. Now this whole thing might be a little bit mysterious to us, what's going on here, but we can shed some light on it by looking at 
the parallel uh, sections in Matthew and Luke. In Luke, Legion begs not to be thrown into the abyss, into hell. And in Matthew, Legion is concerned that this is before the appointed time. And that is, is similar to what we see in Mark 1, where the demons see Jesus, and, and it's like they're caught off guard. Hey, we didn't expect to see him so soon. Please, you know, don't do this to us yet. They're afraid of the judgment that they know they're going to receive. And so they ask Jesus for a little bit more time. They don't want to be sent out of the area, but Legion asks Jesus' permission to go into a herd of pigs. This, too, might be a bit curious for us. Why, why do they want to do that? At any rate, they, they want to continue doing some kind of demonic harm while they have time here on earth. And Jesus allows it. Well, what happens next is it's a really horrific display, isn't it? As soon as the horde of demons enters this herd of pigs, 2,000 are slaughtered immediately. What a display of evil destruction of God's creation. The lives of 2,000 creatures are snuffed out in an instant, drowned, choked, choked on the water. And that's a terrible way to go, too. What is the sense of that? Why did they want to go into the pigs if they were just going to kill them? You know, when we first read that, maybe we think they want to inhabit the pigs for some time and continue doing some demonic activity, but no. They wanted to go into the pigs in order to destroy them. Now, I ask you this. How much more do you think they would have wanted to do this to 2,000 people? How much do you think that, that this horde of demons wanted to murder the man that they possessed for years and years? Torture his soul so that he would despise life, despise God, and then murder him and send him to hell. Beloved recipients of God's grace, this was not allowed to happen. God God protected that man from the power of an army of devils. They could not snuff out his life. His life was kept safe. It was preserved. Why? So that he would be able to meet his rescuer, the one who comes to release the captives, to set free the oppressed. Jesus came for this one man to rescue him. Praise God. For his protection. And we can be sure too that our Father in heaven protects us with the very same power. Peter writes that through faith, through faith, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God's power through faith. And even in the midst of the worst satanic attacks, temptations, sickness, depression, despair, in cases where there is no present relief to be found. Know, know that you are preserved 
by God's power until a time when he will grant you release. And sometimes we don't experience this release until we enter into glory. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your redeemer, your rescuer? He is the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. And he has called all of us to repent and believe in him and receive relief from our chains. Whatever those chains may be, we are attacked by devils, by demons, by the powers of evil, even though probably more often than not we're blind to these things. We can't see with our eyes the battle being waged for our souls, but it's happening. It is. And it's best to be conscious of this. When we are, when we are aware of this, and when we actually seek to live our life faithfully, as followers of Christ, then we have the appropriate response to the announcement of his lordship. And we see two different responses to this announcement, the Gerasenes and the demon-possessed man. Point three, we see the terror of the Gerasenes. <clears throat> so, 2,000 pigs stampeded down the embankment, drowned themselves in the sea. That's not a sight that you forget very easily, is it? Probably haunts you for a little while. In verse 14, the, the pig herders, they take off. They fled, and they reported all of this in, in the town, in the countryside. They went all over the place telling about this, proclaiming, announcing that sounds good, right? This is what you're supposed to do when you witness a redemptive act of God. But they don't do this in faith. They fled. They're terrified of, of Jesus or of the demons. Well, probably both. Either way, they do not show that they trust in the Lord. And so the message that they proclaim, the message that they carry with them to the people, it's not a triumphant gospel message, but it's a message of terror and unbelief. And the people begin to come and see for themselves what happened. They know this man, the demon-possessed guy. They come to Jesus. They see the man. They see the effects of Jesus' power. Here he is, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, back to his old self. He hasn't been this way for a long time, maybe years. And how do they react to this? Are they happy? No, they're scared. They're talking about it, but they're not marveling. They're not marveling at the good power of God. No, this is, this is spooky, and we don't want any part of this. So they ask Jesus to leave. They want nothing to do with him which tells us, it tells us where their, where their allegiances lie, doesn't it? Remember the first thing that Jesus said to Jesus, that, that legion said to Jesus, what do I have to do with you? You know, we have nothing in common. We're on opposite sides. And the people here are of the same mind. In begging Jesus to leave, they acknowledge his power, but they also detest it. This is 
mostly out of fear, as we read in verse 15. But maybe they also see him as a troublemaker. He just cost them 2,000 pigs. Basically, an entire farm wiped out. They must have been irritated at, at that loss. And maybe this was also a reason that the demons wanted to go into the pigs, knowing how the people were attached to material things, valuing the pigs more than the life of the man who was just released. These people would be stirred up against God and against his anointed. Remember, Satan used or tried to use this tactic against Job as well. Now, it's, it's really easy for us to condemn these people. How could they not turn to Jesus with hearts of worship and submission? How could they not see that he is the son of God? How could they not just give their lives to him after this? We worship him. We proclaim his lordship. And yet, is there some remnant in us that acts in a similar way? What do we in our lives esteem more highly than we esteem our Lord? We believe he is Lord. We believe that he has all power, even power over the things that we allow to rule over us sometimes. What do we cling to in our lives that make us try to hold the work of God off at arm's length. Do we want God, seriously, to root evil out of our lives? Do we? Or are there things in our lives that, that we would prefer to indulge in for just a little while longer? Jesus agrees to leave. His work here is done. Clearly, at this time, he hasn't come for the rest of the townspeople. If he had, he could have turned their hearts toward him. But no, for now, he had come for this one lost soul, this soul who has now been found and recovered and who now loves his Lord. Our final point, the fear of the rescued man. In verses 18 through 20, we don't see a word for fear like we did earlier. The townspeople were scared. They were terrified. But this man, in his actions, in his actions, he reveals his heart. He fears the Lord. He is dedicated to him. As Jesus gets into the boat to leave, he begs, please, let me go with you. Wherever you're going, I want to come with you. You know, if this man has family here, well, that doesn't matter. He treasures his Lord and wants to be with him. May it be this way for us too. How much, how much do we treasure our rescuer, Jesus? Enough to throw everything else away if necessary? But Jesus says, no. No, my friend. You can't come along. But I have a different job for you. Go home. Go tell your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he has had mercy on your soul. He is commanded to proclaim this in a way that is different from, from the swine herds. 
Tell them about the mercy that you received from the Lord. Boy, this man's face must have glowed as he told his story. I have met the Lord Jesus. You want to know what he did for me? Do we have these conversations with, with people? Let me tell you about the mercy that the Lord has had on me. Jesus tells him to go to his town, to his loved ones. Tell them what happened. And this guy does. And then some. He travels throughout the Decapolis, the ten Greek cities on that side of the sea. And the people react positively. Are they terrified? No. They believe this wondrous story, and everyone is amazed. And perhaps... We can see the fruits of this testimony as well. In Mark 7, Jesus returns to that area, and the people there know about him. They believe that he can heal their ailments, and they want to hear him preach. How do we respond to our redemption, to our restoration to a life with God? How do we respond to that? This demoniac was, was restored to health to soundness of body and mind. And what we have here is a testimony of a very specific rescue from demons, a testimony to the power of the Son of God, a testimony to the victorious work on the cross and his resurrection when he secured the victory with finality. By ransoming us, body and soul, Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil, and he has rescued us from it. We confess this as our comfort in Lord's Day 1. This is the great outworking of the, king, of the coming of the kingdom. Reconciliation with God and a new life with him. I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The casting out of, this, of these demons, this was just a taste. This was just a taste of that victory. Victory that we enjoy right now. We have been, we have been restored to life. We have been given new clothing. Instead of, instead of the nakedness of sin, we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Instead of evil madness, we have been given the mind of Christ a mind that recognizes godly goodness. Like this man, we are expected to live in accordance with the nature of our new life, and we are to display this life as a testimony to the mercy that Jesus Christ has had on us. How do we give testimony to those who are still in their chains? Can we do more for people who are still in bondage to Satan? Do we care about them enough, enough to sacrifice something for their good? Our time? That's a big one. Can we be bothered enough to do, instead of doing something for ourselves, do something that shows our concern for lost souls? They're all around us every single day. The answer to this, of course, is yes. Yes, we can. And so we are all urged to do something. Which of your friends still needs to know about the lordship of Jesus Christ? Do we care about them more than that other thing we were going to do with our time? 
Well, then do it. Sacrifice something for someone who is lost. There are lives, there are eternal lives at stake here. And, and we may be the instruments in God's hands. Let us be ruled by his Holy Spirit. Follow the King of Kings and be faithful servants in his kingdom as, as his kingdom continues to come in fullness and his great glory is revealed. The victory is secured by Christ, but the battle must still be waged. This world is still full of evil, and as the hymn goes, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, we will not be terrified. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Amen.